Hello, and welcome to Doctor Who 50 Years Ago, the show that looks back to the episode that aired in 1970 and looks at the differences between then and now. This week, episode four of Inferno, which is essentially a 25-minute countdown to doom. I am Ben. I am Luke. And I am Nick. And here we are, and here we go into the news from 1970. On Monday the 25th of May, a Warwickshire reverend considers that the putting in place of state-induced birth control would void starvation in the year 2000 and allow geniuses to be born to match those of the United States and Russia. And as far as he is concerned, his parishioners agree with him. Slightly mad pro-eugenics views here, rearing their head, no doubt because it does the usual thing of terrifying the newspaper reading people that these views still exist within communities up and down the United Kingdom for whatever reason. His views didn't exactly last anywhere into the internet age, and his obituary, when he died at the age of 95, was actually fairly nice to him. It didn't say that he was a eugenicist or something. It it said that he was the longest-serving RAF chaplain. It shows that you do have these flares of eugenicism. And, well, I mean, uh, one, one just flared up very recently, didn't it, Luke? It did indeed, yes. They're not, rep- well, this one especially isn't representative of a wider love of eugenicists. Discredited after the Second World War, wasn't it? Because the Nazis so embraced it. On Wednesday, the 27th of May, Nottingham University is going to publish a book which surveyed so-called slums in the city and recognises that vast numbers of the population are living in acute poverty because of low wages and large numbers of children in families. So it's, it's great to see that 25 years into the post-war consensus, what with state subsidies and all forms of state assistance, sort of, in an industrialised nation, the poverty line is still there and people are living below it and quite far below it. Interestingly, the man who wrote this was one of the other people who ended up leaving the Communist Party. This one after the breach between Joseph Stalin and Joseph Bros Tito. So it's a bit earlier than Malcolm Hulk. And he ended up at Nottingham University. He did indeed. He was a member of the European Parliament. That's a hell of a long life. It, yeah. Between between Stalin <laughs> and I presume he was born in 1930. Right, and he he lasted until no, uh, 2010. Oh. But it doesn't appear that those sorts of views were massively influencing the book. It's a it's a fairly small catchment area he's looking at. He says to the Times that. He doesn't think Nottingham is an abnormally bad city, and it's a survey which concentrates on 413 households. So whether or not this is the best possible research anyone has ever done, I think it still does show the academic, at least in this one, the academic mindset that there is something bad going on here, and this is a case study to prove it. And it only makes a headline that can be discussed 50 years onwards. I think he'd be very happy to know that. Yeah, 10 years dead. <laughs> and looking at a different crisis in socialism. Yes. Yes. 
Speaking of a crisis in socialism, on Thursday the 28th of May, in election news, Labour launches its manifesto for the general election, founded on a £550 million surplus in the balance of payments figures, as well as attacking the Conservatives' policies to increase prices. Interestingly, Harold Wilson says that because of the stronger base in the economy that Labour has built up in the past six years in government, Britain can stand up to a Wall Street collapse. <laughs> the manifesto is pro-improvement in science, technology and the growth of knowledge, wants decent housing, a rising standard of provision for the aged, the sick and those unable to provide for themselves, equality for women as well as men, anti-discrimination and is slightly pro-environmentalist because it has an entire sentence about environmentalism. At the end of this week, Labour are 2 to 3% ahead of the Conservatives in the polls. Yeah. It's interesting that both the Labour manifesto and the Tory manifesto both talk about the price rises. So obviously that was a major thing going on in people's minds at the time. Economy, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For one of a better term, yes, they are always going to be concerned about the state of the economy, the state of the household. What specifically price rises? Well, yeah, that specifically was specifically. I mean, this was a thing to characterise decade, pretty much, wasn't it? Uh, economically yeah. speaking, was the rapid rate of inflation. Very so, much so yeah. we're getting the beginnings of that here, aren't we? Mm. I mean, there was another article in the Times this week that mentioned um, price rises and Wilson was getting in trouble about that. You know, like food prices going up because the government had started to relax some controls on prices, I think. I think so, yeah. So it's interesting that they, they, the Labour are saying, oh, the Tories are all like free market, don't let them what, have a laissez-faire approach. And then it's like, oh, Labour are stepping a little bit back from price regulations, which is interesting. You would think that the Conservatives are slightly liberal in minded, but also in this week, they're reported to be using a computer algorithm on their taxation and public spending policies in order to form its manifesto. So they're well, being very cold and calculating on these kinds of things now. Yeah, uh, and that's just to show you that um, most elections, the Conservatives are usually ahead on the technology front or, you know, coming up with new methods. Um, the only one election recent everywhere, Labour uh, outwitted the Conservatives in their sort of logistics or whatever it was, like 2017, because they got more onto the so social media and whatnot. Because so many young people joined up, they, they actually had people who knew how to work it as opposed to old people. And then in the most recent general election, Conservatives brought in the vote leave people who know how to manipulate data online and micro target people. So the betting odds are such that it seems to place a 55-45 split where Labour are 55% probability of winning based on these odds and what the way the punches are going. People obviously think that the Conservatives have a pretty good chance of winning, but it's people just us just thinking Labour has a little bit of an edge, which I guess probably comes from the fact that, I mean, the economy have been doing better all right in the 60s, hasn't it? I mean, obviously, I know there's, they've, they've had a few problems, but... They we're not in a recession, are we, in 1970? Ultimately, it boils down to the fact of what is the economy like on the day versus the growth and use of technology in elections 50 years ago to now, as well as ultimately the ability to make a quick buck off of predicting election results. 
the Conservatives have got a lot to play for in trying to overturn and create a massive swing to themselves. That's quite enough of that. And instead talk about Inferno, episode 4, aired Saturday the 30th of May 1970. The final countdown to penetration zero of the Earth's crust, which is a surprisingly high stake. Tension is ramped up in the second half of the episode with the final countdown, which is the bit of praise I was desperately searching for, as most of the episode is quite slow and unremarkable. Am I wrong? Most of the episode is, what's your name? I'm not telling you. You will tell us your name. No. Well, then we'll lock you in this cell. Okay. Now tell us your name. No. Pretty much. Yeah. It's funny that that like last two and a half minutes or so of the episode really saves it, doesn't it? Mm, Very much so. So, yeah, when I meant second half of the episode, I meant the final two minutes. (laughs) Yeah. But But, uh, but what's what's interesting is it's it's a countdown done in real time, which is quite uh, it seems quite novel, I think, at least in Doctor Who. Well, except for the painstaking countdown from 100 from the Daleks. And that time as well. Oh, yeah. Considerably less less action. Yeah, Yeah, well, there's no other the rails there are they they aren't quite seconds are they no they're even slower (laughs) (laughs) as for the rest of the episode yeah it's 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 a much less interesting version of how many lights are there from uh star trek the next generation (laughs) i've been trying to tell you there are four lights but yeah that that's that's the 90s and that's 20 years ahead so let's let's instead talk about the 70s version of interrogation and get into this episode in greater detail. Platoon underleader Benton, which is still a mouthful to say, does not shoot the Doctor in his face. Instead, section leader Shaw allows him to repair the computer, which tells the drill men to reverse all systems to stop a meltdown, to the annoyance of Stallman. The Doctor returns to the office to try and make section leader Shaw understand the parallel universe concept with her origins. Sutton and Petra have one of their usual arguments, which runs along the lines of please be obedient and no, I'm not a zombie, thanks. The Doctor remains against the drilling and as soon as the situation is contained, Stallman speeds up again to the annoyance of Sutton. Everything's heated. I like the resolution of this cliffhanger because the Doctor is saved by bureaucracy. Yes, yes. Yeah, we can't just shoot him. Yeah, yeah, and they have to follow the proper procedure. So it's following that theme of bureaucracy throughout all of this season, isn't it? This universe should be anti-bureaucracy. Stalin remains the the anti-bureaucrat in this case, because obviously fascists are the ultimate in bureaucrats because they want their own rules done to the letter, which just ultimately includes a lot of blood. So, yeah, the computer is aware of the situation. Um, Again, they're talking about it like it's thinking, almost like it's an artificial intelligence, which is interesting. I mean, I mean is, is it not working on a digital way? So it's basically been switched from zero to one and ultimately is immediately aware of everything that's happened whilst it was at zero. I don't think the computer well, has computer, fleshed out well enough for this episode. Yeah, a computer doesn't think like it, it just does what it's instructed to do. It follows a set of instructions. So it'll have inputs, but it's not aware because it doesn't think. It's like if this were made now. They would just obviously have like a, a computer artificial intelligence or something, and it would make sense more sense. But I guess 
this wasn't so developed. I mean, computers were pretty new at the time, weren't they? Like, lots mm. of people were, hadn't really been exposed to them. Exactly. The language isn't pinned down enough. I, I was watching Mirror Mirror before this one, the Star Trek episode where they go to the alternate universe, and it's where you've got evil Spock with his goatee, and everyone on the Enterprise is a scumbag now. When they're talking about the parallel universe, they spend almost a whole minute of screen time saying, this is this, and this is this, and this is this, and it's taking you through it really slowly, so you get it. So there are some differences between Mirror Mirror and Inferno. I think the most interesting one is the beard, because the evil beard trope came from Mirror Mirror. It's because of Spock's goatee, therefore he is evil. But here, you can tell everyone's evil because they're unshaved. And it shows that perhaps that hadn't been properly filtered in or into the consciousness of pop culture, or they were trying to be different, or they just had to make sure that they looked different, which is why Spock was given that originally. So it shows we're still thinking along those inventive lines. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, think... I'd say that's true, because you, you have the moustache brick joke in episode one, which gets paid off with the brigade leader's clean-shaven goodness and eye patch in episode three. So the novelization is published 14 years later, written by Terence, and that's fleshing it out a lot more. And I wonder... Perhaps when you get to the Thatcher era, this sort of story becomes a bit more common. So it could be he's got a bit more to go on once we get to the 80s. Yeah, I think like as time has gone on, people expect more and more backstory from things. You couldn't do Doctor Who as it was. Audiences now would expect like a, a series to have a, a massive backstory from the get-go. Like Doctor Who didn't, mm. and it could be done back then, but... As time's gone on, we, we want to actually have this canon and lore and stuff that, to exist. But ultimately, yes, that's the point of how television lays out its rules 50 years ago. And nowadays, section leader Shaw and the brigade leader interrogate the Doctor. He reveals his TARDIS brought him sideways in time and little else. The drilling accelerates to the Doctor's horror and he questions Starman's injured hands. The Doctor is eventually sent to the cells and section leader Shaw assists. The brigade leader and Starman have an argument about who's doing their jobs. Sutton remains a renegade, but Petra does not report his disobedience. The cracks are beginning to show. Section leader Shaw attempts and fails to use the good cop, bad cop routine on the doctor, who quotes secret police routine seven stroke four. Hmm. Shaw believes he's um, a free speech advocate, and another lovely quote of the Doctor, I am not a political demonstrator. Instead, he has a cellmate who has green, hairy hands. Well, they're doing that hard cuts each time. They're doing uh, the brigade leader and uh, Liz keep questioning the Doctor. You know, it keeps hard cutting between the two of them. Is that where they've edited it or is it they had two cameras and they were... That would be a two camera setup. A two camera setup. Yeah. Okay. I was wondering how, because it's, it's still a lot snappier than normal, isn't it? it? It stood out to me as being something that seems more modern than uh, a, lot, a lot of the way that, you know, the season's been shot. Absolutely. It has much more of a vitality to it. But the bit that got me about the interrogation section was how it was taking place in the security kitchen. 
because we don't have enough sets, so it's got to take place in the brigade leader's office. And we can't go to an actual interrogation chamber yet because the filming block doesn't allow it. And I think that is a very interesting point about television nowadays. Interrogation and prison scenes tend to be a fairly big bit in the episode. I think a lot to this is a strange trope in films now where starts in the dark night where the Joker got himself deliberately captured. Then Loki did it in the Avengers and then everyone started doing it. It happened in Skyfall as well. And it's the bit where the episode cools down, the film cools down a bit. Whereas here it's a bit more high paced because it's just more talking. And if your whole episode is talking versus lots and lots of action, the interrogation is the talky bit. Whereas when your episode is all talky bits, here it becomes an action scene, doesn't it? The way they shot it. You you need this point in the middle where something happens because otherwise an awful lot doesn't happen. I assume you'll have him liquidated by the end of the day. I'm thinking that, because I'm pretty sure they have said killed before in Doctor Who, haven't they? uh, In the bad places, they've been killed and whatever. Yeah. So I don't think this is like for the kids. It's actually to highlight the bureaucracy of it again you know, the bureaucratic nature of these characters yeah put in different officious terms well, it's also to show how normalized it is and and how they don't think it, it, is, it makes it sound more brutal as well doesn't it um yeah the, ultimately the, doctor, the, the doctor's body was going to be uh, used as coolant yeah because it, it is as you say a degree of normalization radicalization and the ability to just not speak because if you do those things will happen to you. Absolutely. Especially if, if we're going to bring up a more modern day equivalent in North Korea. Well, I find it interesting how this is a Englishman's view of something which is very foreign, made by very English people. Um, Don Horton was born in Paris. Was he? Wow. Well, was he there during the... Was I it cannot France? tell. Oh, what? Because it's secret? No. <laughs> <laughs> If he was in France during the occupation, that might lend credence, but... Or if his parents were. But ultimately, vive la resistance, so there we go. Meanwhile, in the normal universe, the Brig and Liz cannot find the Doctor. Sir Keith Gold has a final remonstration with Starman, where he fails to persuade him to take precautions and install a fail-safe system and make Starman be a responsible scientist, in quotes... Shock horror, though, the minister is an old friend of Sir Keith. The old boy's network strikes again. Just a slight correction there, Ben, because the exact quote he says is, act as responsible scientists. Like, as in, so he's implying, implies that Sir Keith Gold is calling himself a scientist as well. I mean, we don't know what his background is, but perhaps he did have a bit of time in, the, in science. Well, again, what that says, shows is that Sir Keith is just adding to his list of why he's brilliant and how he knows what he's doing and how we should trust him, which I think is interesting from a civil servant and backs up my point whenever I made it about how about how Sir Keith Gold is acting under nasty authority figure, which makes us like him in the context of this season. Yeah, we, we have the whole old boys network again and nothing is mentioned. It's just mentioned and no, no one bats an eyelid about it. And it's not even... You don't even try to think, say that's a good or bad thing. It's just a thing. And it's like nowadays, 
if you mention it, it would be kind of like say, mm, that's not so good. You you might not just outright say that, but it would be implied. It's not a great thing, is it? Wouldn't it? Yeah, but again, here as Luke was just saying, we are we are rooting for Sakith, so we want the the old boys' network to go in and stop everything. The ideal civil servant, doesn't he? Because he's not political in any way. So and that's why he's. So obviously, we we've had where bureaucrats have been the bad guys, but that's where they've perhaps had a an ambition not political it was like more personal also keith is only really interested in doing a good job delivering results that are good for the country he hasn't got any personal ambition does he no because his character doesn't stretch that far the doctor escapes his mutated cellmate and has a run around the complex hiding in a jeep and borrowing thermal resistance clothing which allows him to re-enter the drill site with disaster crew with only three minutes on the clock. He gets one chance to stop the drilling, but he's held at gunpoint, firstly by the brigade leader, briefly saved by Sutton, and then back at gunpoint by Starman himself as the countdown reaches zero. That's the sound of this planet screaming out its rage is quite simply the quote of the story because it tackles any and all environmental concerns and pretty much any time science attempts to disrupt the balance of nature, nuclear weapons, coal mining, oil drilling, animal conservation, habitation zones, you name it, this quote can handle it. That's interesting, and I wonder if it relates to the computer being aware of itself in some strange way. Well, I mean, it's it, obviously it doesn't have the foresight of if you drill here, the world will end. It, it oh. really has the foresight of bloody hell, it's hot. Could you stop before we have a meltdown? <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> is, is, it, is it like is this a Buddhist thing? Like, you know, I, I don't know anything, but like where inanimate objects can have some sort of aware, awareness of their surroundings. Is that here? It's treating the oh, I, 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 I'm not any authority on Buddhism, but it doesn't sound Buddhist. There's a psychic sense of foreboding amongst the cast, both in this universe and the parallel universe. Is that anything related to Buddhism? I just said I don't know. Well, well we can say it's a bit spiritual, spiritual, isn't it? And I mean, Barry Letts, I guess, was into things that were not normal, spiritually speaking, at the time, obviously being you know, in, into Buddhism and stuff, which most very few British people were at that point in time. Disaster crew to action stations. Oh, OK. <laughs> it's like, as you said, that, that echoes the whole... Everyone has a feeling, apart from Starman, that this is going to be a disaster, don't they? I mean, the fact they even have a disaster crew sounds a bit like, um, what? <laughs> you know, this is meant to be some glorious moment. Why do you have disaster crew on standby? I mean, that's, that's, that's probably just normally anything for the drilling. If if some unexplained factor, when they hit the pocket of Starman's gas, causes that nuclear meltdown again, you know. There are no unexplained factors, Ben. Mm-hmm. Armageddon prevention executives. <laughs> Ooh, Armageddon resistance specialist executives. It just shows we've moved on a bit in how we respond to emergencies and disasters and whatever. The vocabulary has evolved since then to try and be a bit more sensitive. And isn't it a a film that comes to mind is Hot Fuzz, uh, where they talk about like police force is not actually used anymore for police service. Mm. It's not not an accident because that. gives an idea of what it might be it's a collision you know so at the very beginning of this paragraph when the mutated cellmate beats up the soldier there is an extended bit of beating while we cut to the doctor's face and he goes "Ooh!" and i compare this to the cybermen in the 10th planet who just do a whack and you're down 
And here you have an actual beating, a proper beating. And last episode, well, last serial, we had the extended fight gun sequence. And it shows that now we're able to put in a bit more violence. It shows how they're they're quite happy to use stunt actors now, aren't they? Which um, I guess they used very sparingly in Doctor Who before this season, didn't they? We've got the differences in violence 50 years ago and now. We've got the differences in Armageddon prevention naming 50 years ago and now. And we've got free speech activism 50 years ago and now. Thank you very much for watching. You can find us on Blogspot, which redirects to iTunes. Leave positive comments there. It really helps. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube, where you can like, comment and subscribe. We shall be back next week to burn through episode five of Inferno. Until then, I've been Ben. I've been Luke. And I've been Nick. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.